Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. All right, guys, welcome to The Friday Habit. This is Ben coming at you. And Mark is not here today. He's out on a shoot. So I am going to be interviewing solo, but I'm super excited to have Patrick Tian with me today. And Patrick is an international speaker, CEO, coach, and serial entrepreneur. He's USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Patrick grew his first company to number 151 on the Inc. 500 list. And then after a successful exit, he has been on a mission to help CEOs build great companies and achieve their dreams. Easy for me to say, hey, welcome, Patrick. I'm uh, glad you're here. Thank you very much, Ben. I'm excited to be here with your, with your audience. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so one thing I wanted to talk about, you know, I love uh, talking with people who have started or run or been involved in multiple companies because there's so much experience there that I feel like myself and our audience can learn from. Um, but what I'd love to do, even before we get into the entrepreneurship, is I like to know kind of people's roots, you know, like where did you originally come from? Because it's it's always interesting to me to, to find out you know, what involvement did your parents or whoever raised you, you know, what involvement did they have in that entrepreneurial spark or not, you know? So yeah. maybe you could tell us a little bit about your your childhood growing up even before you started your first business. Sure. I, uh, I'm i from Singapore. Okay. I'm from Singapore. I was born in Malaysia and then my parents moved to Singapore when I was one year old. Wow. My grandfather actually was an entrepreneur. My grandfather had a what he had a printing press, which today would be more like a marketing agency, but he had a printing press and he would print like the theater tickets, the cinema tickets for the, the various theaters in, in Kuala Lumpur, West Malaysia. So whenever I visited him from Singapore, he would print me, he would say, which movie do you want to go to? I'll pick a movie. He'd coordinate with that theater, but he'd print me my own ticket and I would bring my little ticket to that theater pre-printed and I just like VIP go on in. <laughs> and it was awesome. I just nice. always believed that uh, it was just awesome. And and every you know my my grandfather would give me pencils and paper so that I go to school and, and and be a good student every year when I visited him. So that's kind of um, my kind of the roots that I, I grew up in. My dad is uh, actually my dad was uh, was a uh, is a lawyer and then became a judge back in Singapore. He's now retired. And okay. I came over to U.S. to study. So I came over when I was seventeen. To go to university, and I got my degrees at Cornell University. I'm an electrical engineer by training. Met my beautiful wife uh, in Cornell. That's kind of why I stayed in the great United States of America. So I'm thrilled to be here, and that's kind of a very quick, very quick tour through my life. But I will tell you that my my first business really was uh, when I was tiny. When I was, I think I was ten or eleven, and the mm. World Cup was playing. Now today, soccer is getting big in the U.S., but back then. You know, uh, wasn't much in the U.S., but I was in Singapore. I was ten years old, or so and and it, there was no um, live broadcast on TV yet. So uh, these these broadcasts were over the radio, and a friend and I would record these recordings, and then the next day I would you know go to school and sell the tapes to my friends who wanted to listen to the World Cup. So that was, uh, I think I was ten or eleven, but that was that was the first uh, the first gig I had. Yeah. That's so cool. What kind of stuff did you record? Oh, it was just the World Cup. So the World Cup soccer was going on. 
and we will record the games, you know. So, Ger- yeah, so Germany versus France or whatever game is on. Uh, so you just literally recorded what was being broadcast. It wasn't any extra commentary or anything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We just recorded <laughs> just like, it, and then we just duplicated the tapes. And the very next day, you know, you had you had a World Cup that you could listen to. Oh man, that's awesome! So basically, you're kind of taking that and making it accessible to people that didn't that didn't have access to it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but I think at ten years old, I was just trying to make a buck. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was there was no higher purpose, and I you know I didn't have the recording equipment. So my buddy, who was a few, uh, I think he was two years older than me, you know he was he was uh, I should say his dad gave him more toys, so he had equipment, and so we said, hey, why don't you record it, then duplicate it for me, and then we'll go home and sell it. So that's, I mean, we'll go to school and sell it. So that was my, my first gig. That's awesome. So when you, when you see these, you know, maybe that first gig and then other, other um, businesses you started later, do, it, do you find any pattern of like, first you see like a problem people have, or are you more like, oh, you know what, this is just an idea. Hey, maybe it'll make a little bit of money. Or has that changed over time? So for, for me, I think there's two things I've always done. One is I've always tried to start with a problem that people have or a need. You know, mm. I, I think that um, there is enough solutions out there looking for problems and how to solve. So uh, I'm the kind of entrepreneur that believes in in solving a real problem, something that people really, really need. I have yeah. tried to build it and they will come approach too. I wasn't all that successful. I think you have to be someone crazily good like uh, Steve Jobs or, you know, someone that can truly build it and they will come. So that model is very, ex- very exciting, yeah. But for me, I, I tend to be more on the practical side. I tend to see a need that somebody has. And in fact, I was coaching a friend back in Singapore years ago and, and she, she said, hey, Patrick, I'm going to start my business. You know, what, what, what should I do? I said, you know, go make a list of the top 10 things you should do and then we'll talk. And she made a list of all the things. I looked at it. I looked at it and I thought, okay, she had like print business cards, get an office, buy a chair, buy a table. So I looked at her top 10 things and I said, you know, you should just throw this list away. She said, what do you mean? I said, you missed like the most important thing. And she said, what was the most important thing? I said, go out and get a freaking customer. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like go get a business yes. card. Go get this, go that, that, that. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like you go talk to a customer and you might print a different business card based on your interaction with the customer. So, uh, so she did that. She said, okay, I'll throw my list away and I'll go talk to a customer I'll go talk to her. She said, I don't have any customers. I said, exactly. That is your number one priority. Go get yourself a customer. And then she said, and, and after I get that customer, what's my number two priority? I said that it's keeping the customer. You get yeah. the customer, you keep the customer, and then you go get your second customer. I mean, yep. literally, you need to go do that uh, at least 10 to 20 times before you really have even an idea for a business. So that's that's what I believe anyway. That, I mean, that has been true in my experience as well. And and even people I've seen start businesses where, you know, I, I live in a fairly small town and I, I've seen people start these really boutique type shops that really a town of my size, you know, our size really can't support. You know, it's like, I, that's a really cool, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up, but like an uh, olive oil tasting shop, you know, and I'm yes. like, maybe in New York City, but like people are looking for a convenience store downtown, you know, that kind of thing. And so if you don't validate your idea and make sure there's actually people, like if you don't get some customers up front, it's just such a huge risk that you're going to waste so much time and money yeah. building something that people don't need. And I, I think that sometimes entrepreneurs waste too much time trying to validate 
their market abilities and you know this whole thing called the TAM, your total okay. addressable market. And I think that's important, by the way. I'm not suggesting it's not important. But if you're an agency and you're in this town and your total addressable market, I, I know that with the internet can go worldwide. I get it. But right. if you're a small firm, really you just need a handful of great customers. Mm-hmm. Great customers. And what I've learned is that the more narrow you can make your focus, the more successful you're going to be. So, you know, I, I would I would say that um, the the three things that I'll share, and, and this is the lesson. You know, I'll tell this lesson. We can we can stop the recording, go have lunch. Uh, I'm just joking, but, <laughs> but but I mean the three key things. I think that uh, my message is that you know, uh, successful businesses all have breakthroughs, and and breakthroughs at the right time comes from having focus, having alignment. If you have a team, having alignment with your team, and then being accountable to the commitments that you've said you're going to do. If you just do those three things, I, I don't really care what business you're in. You're going to, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it just fine. Mm, that's really good. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, did, it's cool to hear, you know, your first business. Okay. You're recording world cup selling, you know, tapes to your friends and stuff like that. So from there, you know, that you said that was like 10 or 11. When was your next, when was your next venture? Did you go, I know you said electrical engineer, you went to college yeah. for that. Did you work as an engineer for a while before moving on, or what, what? How did that work? Well, when I finished Cornell, I was recruited to Oracle Corporation. So, you know, even as an electrical engineer, I I never really worked as an engineer. I I had two job offers: one to Oracle, and one to actually a, a, a company that would have used me for what I studied. I studied mm. digital signal processing, image processing, but um, I was attracted to Oracle because of the culture, because of the people. And so, you know, um, culture does make a difference. And I still remember when I interviewed at Oracle, uh, I went to Oracle Consulting. This was out, out in Washington, D.C. area. And I remember they, they brought me to the conference room and they said, hey, Patrick, you know, it's a snow day. So, you know, before we interview, uh, go ahead and have something to eat because it's a snow day and everything was, people were not coming to the office. And so, you know, we bought lunch for everyone who's coming here. I thought, wow, what a cool company. And I mm-hmm. walked in and maybe I'm a school kid, but... Somebody asked me, they said, like, what, what was it about Oracle you remembered? And I, I know this sounds really crazy. I said, dude, it was the croissants. <laughs> I had never seen, like, I walked into this conference room, and there were just croissants galore, like croissant sandwiches, <laughs> chocolate croissants, <laughs> almond croissants, and they were freaking huge. And as a, as a school kid, I had never seen such huge croissants. And, I mean, and they were like, hey, eat whatever you want, pick up whatever you want, and then when you're ready, we'll interview and that was just such an amazing experience that um, I decided to go work for them. So I, I started my career in software, and I just never looked back. I was with Oracle for two years and nine months, and then I left and started my first company, which was called Metasys. And Metasys was a, was a supply chain software company. We helped you with uh, – if you were a manufacturer with and spent at least $40 million a year in transportation costs – we would save you between 5 and 15%. So that was the line of work we got into. And I, I was not a logistician, but we built a, a software for a client. So again, I started with a customer. Right. And um, after I built it for the customer, I was doing consulting. This is my own business by now. And I'm doing consulting. We started off as a consulting firm, and I built this piece of software. They paid us a lot of money for it over about a year. And so I asked them a very innocent, dumb question. I said, hey, wh- why did you pay me to build this thing? 
And, and they said, well, because we couldn't buy it. I said, and this is back in 1991. So this is before you have all this software you can buy today. So this is like the starting of the application software revolution. And you know, this, is be- this is that SAP was, was on the rise and people's software was on the rise and all these guys were on mm-hmm. the rise. And, and so they said, there's no freight management system that can do everything that needs to be done for a manufacturing company like us. And, and they were like a multi-billion dollar firm. So I thought about it. I said, hey, um, what if you just gave the software back to me and, um, and I'll maintain it and you'll get updates, right? And they're like, we just paid you a million bucks for this. You want us to give it back to you? And I told them, I said, and I remember the CFO laughing when I said, I said, yes, you do want to give it to me because the minute I give it to you, you know, software rots. Like the yeah. day I give mm-hmm. the software to you, it begins its, its rot unless – I'm, unless I'm there to maintain or someone has to maintain it for you. So if you give the sucker back to me and I'll give you royalties and I'll maintain the software and you have it up to date and everything. The CFO laughed at first. He said, he said, Patrick, that's so funny. That's <laughs> your sales pitch. That is your sales pitch. Like software rots. And we laughed and he said, you know, I like you. I was 27, by the way. I was a young kid. So he was like, I like you. You're a young kid. You clearly don't know what you're doing. Um, and then, and then, you know, it took me about it took me about half a year to get to convince him to to try to because he said to me, he said, "Look, Patrick, I like you. You're a good guy. Yeah, but it, it takes a lot of faith for me to to put like to put my trust in a guy." I corrected yeah. him. I said, "No, there's two of us." <laughs> he, he was like, "Yeah, right. Okay, fine. That, that makes a big difference, right?" I mean, he, yeah, he yeah. was trying to point out to me that we were just too tiny. I was like, sure. oh, "Yeah, there's two of us, not one." I'm sorry, yeah. sir, you're it's wrong. Twice it's as big as he thought. It's twice yeah. as big as it. Well, we're hundred percent bigger than you think we are, right? And so it was just funny. And and then I remember he um he he was like trying to make a decision, and he said to me, he said, "Well, Patrick, why why should I do this?" And I looked at him, and I still remember the, the company was. Herxelanese Corporation, which no longer exists. They kind of broken it up and sold different parts of it away. But at the time, it was a multi-billion dollar firm. And I looked at him and I said, Ken, I said, if you look around here, I said, this company, this great company here, I said, this great company started with probably an entrepreneur and one customer who believed in that entrepreneur. And I said, hmm. you know, you have an opportunity today to be like Herxelanese. You have an opportunity today to like believe in me and 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 be that one customer where where you can help me build something because if it's not used to be somebody else I'll find somebody. And he looked at he goes he laughed he said wow that's almost as good as your software rots sales pitch. That's and, what I was gonna say that's a yeah good he was, pitch, he was like that's almost as good as your software rots sales pitch you know you want me to believe in you I go yeah yeah and and I and and he was like and finally we got the deal done so um, I do think that uh, as an entrepreneur I've always been blame for being too focused. I'm a very focused guy and I will go at you until you say yes. So basically when somebody says no to me, I adopt a very friendly approach. You know, I'll say, you know, Ben, I apologize. I I probably didn't get that right. Will you please let me share that again with you? Now share, and then I'll do the sales pitch again. And then you'll be like, okay, well, the answer is no, Patrick. I'm sorry, Ben. I mean, I probably just didn't get that right, you know. He's like, I'm not communicating. What I'm I not communicating. To. It's me, not you. And I, I promise you, when you do that, like people will give you multiple shots at getting it right. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, I've never heard that before. That's that's a really interesting a tactic, or just even just strategy. It's, it's persistence. You know, like you're not giving up. You're also like trying different 
you know, maybe they have a different need than you thought they did, or maybe they're, they have a, uh, something that you can actually help them with. They haven't realized yeah. yet. So that, that's awesome. So when I was trying to get this deal done at the very end, I was offering royalties and the CFO said to me, he said, Patrick, do you realize you're dealing with a multi-billion dollar company? I go, yeah. He goes, so do you think your small little royalty is going to move my bottom line? I go, oh, wow, you got a point, right? And he said, Patrick, that's not what I care about. And I said, oh, what do you care about? He said, yeah, you had the wrong sales pitch for me, man. He said, what I care about is, you know, the CFO's office is always an administrative department. We're always spending money. He said, I'm going to be the only CFO in the group if I do this deal with you where I, I'm actually a profit center. I'll be taking in money. And, and nobody has to know how much money I'm taking in. But the mere fact that I'm a profit center, that's really innovative. Mm. So I smiled at him. I said, huh. I smiled at him. I kind of sat back, kind of chilled out a little bit. And then I smiled and I said, so Ken, I'm wondering, you know, what would really be good is what if you were the first CFO in the division to, uh, you know, to be a profit, to be a profit center and, and, and have some revenue come in. Like, wouldn't that be cool? And he looked at me, he said, he said, Patrick, this is what I just said. I go, I know, right? And it's such a great idea. It's even your idea. What do you think? So we became good friends over time. You know, he, he, he felt like I was the young kid that didn't really know what I was doing and he was willing to help me. And I've been very grateful that for most of my life, if not all my life, probably all my life, I think that I've been in such situations where people were willing to help me. And, um, you know, I think it fit my personality. You know, like when someone doesn't like what I say, I don't go, screw you, buddy. I go, no, I'm sorry. I, was, I probably said that wrong. Let me try again. So so to me, it's it's. Um, I'm always asking myself, you know, what can I learn from this interaction? And... Mm-hmm. Um, what can I learn about what that person wants or likes or dislikes? And to me, it's really simple. If I want to make a sale, because I'm not a natural sales, I'm, I'm not a sales trained person. I'm an engineer. Mm. But to me, it's like, it comes down to, you know, we live in a people-to-people world. So lots of my clients would say, oh, Patrick, you know, I'm B2C, B2C, B2B, you know, business-to-business, business-to-consumer. Uh, and this doesn't apply stuff. I said, dude, forget all about that. We live in a P2P world, a people-to-people mm. world. And people buy from people they like. So, you know, don't take yourself so seriously. Take the other person more seriously. Uh, don't try so hard to be interesting. Try a little bit harder to be interested in the person you're you're talking to. And it's going to be fine, you know. And if the guy doesn't buy, it's cool because he's probably the mm-hmm. wrong guy. So that's kind of mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how I've always been. Is It's kind of like, hey, th- by the way, I think this probably comes from me coming from Singapore because – Singapore is a very small country. Singapore has 5 million people on the little island, which is no bigger, actually even smaller than the island of Manhattan. So it's wow. 20 by 40 miles, 240 square miles. That's the country. 5 million people on this little country. So mm. when you come to the U.S. from a country like that, suddenly it's like, oh, my God, the, the, this place is huge. This, this, this place has 350 million people. It's like, it's like there po- the, the possibilities in the United States is incredible incredible yeah. so i've always mm-hmm. felt like well it's okay you know if if you don't want what i have to offer that's all right there's another 300 million people that might want what i have to offer it's yeah. gonna be just fine don't worry about it you know so i've always been very chilled about it's gonna be fine yeah 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think that that kind of attitude also makes you a more generous person. Because, you know, I, I know some some people, and I used to think this way, where it's like, oh, I got to lock down all of my secrets. I can't share my knowledge with other people. This is proprietary, you know, and I've, I feel like I've relaxed over the last, you know, maybe five or 10 years. And now I'm like, I'm excited to share ideas with people. Like I met with a guy the other day, I was consulting him on his web design business. And I sent him like all of my checklists. And he was like, wait, you're going to give this to me? Like, yeah, man, I mean, you got to make it your own, obviously, but it's like yeah. life's too short to just like keep it to yourself. And there's so many opportunities. And the more you help other people, you know, they help you too. And just, I mean, it's, it's, it's just such a much better perspective to think about the way that you do. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And by the way, there's scientific evidence for what you just said. The data shows you hmm. actually that it's not so much the strategy. Like, like the strategy is fine. So I can give you all my secrets. The question is whether or not you're going to be able to execute it the way you're supposed to execute it. And mm. so that is the crux of, that's actually the crux of my book, Rhythm. Rhythm mm. is a, really about making sure that people delivered on the commitments well. Because in 1999, mm. an article was written in Fortune magazine by Ram Sharan. And the article is called Why CEOs Fail. And mm. they profiled a bunch of famous people like John Scully from Apple and and the punchline of that article was that, you know, CEOs fail for a lack of execution, a lack of delivering on the commitments. It wasn't because of a lack of strategy. Most of these guys and gals all had good strategy. They just couldn't get it done. Literally, from hmm. their lips to your ears to your hands, that's execution. So, so I've learned that, um, or rather I believe, and my data shows me that most of my clients and, and most of the companies I work with uh, are going to fail unless we intervene and help them with the right cadence, the right rhythm, the right habits so that they can be effective and successful. All right, we're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, go to thefridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, Go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at the Friday Habit .com. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. <laughs>